Hey guys, welcome back to Resurrecting the Mind, Body, and Soul podcast. We are now on episode 28, the Taking Back Our Health series. What is insulin resistance? I do want to apologize. We did run into some microphone issues a little over halfway into this episode that I did not find out until I started the uh, audio editing. So I do apologize for that. We will pick up next week where that started to happen. So I hope you can enjoy this first part of this episode and we'll see you next week. Love y'all. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Resurrecting the Mind, Body, and Soul podcast. With Brian and Debbie Godowski. We are now on episode 28. I think we're going to be continuing from last week, aren't we? We are. We started a topic last week, and we realized as we prepared and started getting into that that we were really needing to uh, add a lot more information. So we're going to do a series. Yeah, we definitely... Could have talked forever last week, but we'll continue on this week. Sounds good, bud. Today, there's there's so much. There's so much um, to share. And last week, um, our episode was titled, Do You Belong to the 93% Club? Right. And we went into what that is. And basically, it is a club we do not want to be in. No. Um, it represents that 93% represents the percentage of Americans that are metabolically um, unhealthy. Yeah, you want to be in that 7%. <laughs> right, you want to be in the 7%, but even more than that, we want to flip those numbers. Right, absolutely. We really want to be a part of that movement. And the detriment to being part of that 93% uh, is that means there are things happening in our bodies that are putting us on a road to heart disease, cancer, Mm -hmm. diabetes, dementia, just every chronic disease is linked to being metabolically unhealthy. Right. And one thing I wanted to point out from last week is, you know, being metabolically unhealthy doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be obese or mm. quote-unquote fat. You, mean, you could be what they call skinny fat. Mm. And, you know, you want to go into what that means? Yeah, um, and actually, one of the things that we're going to be talking about in one of our episodes, part of the series, is visceral fat. Right. So there's, there's different kinds of fat. Yeah. And there's adipose fat, which, you know, there's fat uh, right under your skin that yeah. you see and that we probably all associate with someone being overweight or uh, obese. Yeah. You can feel it, you can see it, you can touch it, you can jiggle it or right. whatever. Yeah. Um, but the dangerous fat is that visceral fat. Yeah. And that happens just because you're skinny or thin or lean does not mean you don't have that visceral fat going on around your organs right Uh, and that has to be something that people need to know about and they need to address that absolutely but no that that's a good point um but and i think 
some of the things that happen, what we need to talk about are things that actually are happening to our bodies. And right. one is insulin resistance, which is what we're going to focus on today. But also what we will be talking about is unhealthy inflammation. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about that. Hormone imbalances, the, the again, visceral fat, the gut dysbiosis, which is an imbalance, an unhealthy imbalance in our gut, mitochondrial dysfunction, high blood glucose, and high fasting insulin, just okay. to name a few things. Right. But I think the urgency is seeing those numbers of Americans that are on this path and knowing that that is leading to these diseases and really what our mission and our passion is to get the word out that is all preventable yeah all these diseases that you hear about are a lot of people think of them as kind of the luck of the draw you know when people get cancer or you know have dementia or alzheimer's or heart disease they all think yeah that it's part of my genetics or i got bad luck and i got this but no all of this stuff is leaked to you know metabolic disease as we're discussing mm -hmm. right and i think that it's probably something to say that some of those things are genetic right and and there is a small percentage the the majority though of right. all of this can be prevented um, through diet um, exposure to environmental toxins um, yeah. stress lack of sleep all of those things it's not just one thing so we can pinpoint we can talk about each one of these diseases separately and doctors will treat each one separately there will be medications to treat each one separately but our body is a system right it and their science is showing this improving this and explaining this more and more that this is all connected everything yeah. is connected if you have heart disease why do you have heart disease right that so the path that we're taking that we're learning that we're trying to share is let's figure out root causes yeah absolutely. And, and if you can't with your own education then find the doctor uh, doctors the test that will help pinpoint what is going on right yeah i think the main goal for anybody should be to find that root cause so you can be preventative instead of you know waiting for that doctor to say you have this and mm -hmm. then have to you know spend all this time and money you know to try to get rid of it whereas if you were to just take those preventative measures you'd be in a much better place and i think part of what we're concerned with and and what we have sympathy and empathy for is taking a look at people and trying to reach out and understand why they choose to act or not act right accordingly you know we both have been in places in our life where making choice the right choices just wasn't 
you know, on it that front even, well, no, Yeah, it wasn't even thought of. No, we were we were dealing with life stuff. Yeah, and that's kind of our point here is that, you know, we have been in those places. You know, we can relate to anybody out there that's, you know, in, stuck in a spot, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to start. We've both been there before. So... Mm-hmm. So I think what what we can do on our podcast and and, and other areas that that we're trying to to help um, use to use areas as a tool um, is we can educate and so we can start that process. We can share what we're learning. Yeah. And so let's jump into today's topic. You yeah. Ready? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So today we are diving into insulin resistance. We have talked about this before, mm-hmm. we've mentioned it before, but the reason we really want to focus this first episode that we're starting out in this series on insulin resistance is because everything can be traced back to that dysfunction. Yeah, that's where it starts. And that's where what, it starts. What is insulin resistance? So what insulin resistance is is our bodies have had to produce so much insulin our pancreas has had to produce so much insulin because of the sugar and the refined flours so our body produces that insulin to help it uh, be shipped into our cells and all of that and our cells need energy and so that would be the goal is for what we eat in our diet, the sugars and the carbs that that be used up as energy. Right. But when we consume so much sugar and so much flour, it gets our body doesn't know what to do with it. Our cells can't take it in anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I already have this. I don't need any more." So it starts becoming, you know, resistant to it. And right. You know, the opposite of that is. Uh, sensitive. Yeah. So we want to be insulin sensitive. Yeah. So when your body's, you know, needing that stuff, it soaks it up right away. It's sensitive to it. Soaks it up, uses it properly, and you're good to go. That's right. And that's how the body was designed to work. Yeah. I read a statistic that I wanted to share today. I want to make sure I get it right. Today, on on an average, mm-hmm. how many pounds of sugar do you think an average American eats per year? Per year? Five pounds. Five pounds. No, the average American eats 152 pounds of sugar a year. Whew, I was way off there. <laughs> Back in the times of our gra- grandparents, our great-grandparents, I believe this, the... Um, the data shows it was like 24 pounds. Wow. So that just shows you what's happened to the our food, our right. sources. And then the average American eats 133 pounds of flour. Wow. So if anybody's wondering why all of a sudden diabetes, type 2 diabetes, not type 1, type 2 diabetes is on the rise, heart disease is on the rise, dementia is on the rise, depression is on the rise. Let's we got to take a look at this sugar. Yeah, we got the answer. And yeah, yeah. So that's what insulin resistance is. Our body has just had too much of of all this stuff, and it's it has to do something. The 
it can't just disappear in our body. All of this sugar, yeah. all of this flour, all of these bad things, our body has to do something with it. Yeah, where does it go? You right. know, it's kind of, I can, you know, make an example out of that. It's like filling up your car with gas. You know, it only can go to a certain point and then it starts overflowing. You know, your body's mm-hmm. the same way. Once it gets the fuel it needs, it starts over overflowing the, into areas that you don't want it to go to. Just like you don't want the gas going all over your car and exactly. starting a fire. You there know, you it's go. basically doing the same thing in your body. That's so true. That's so true. So, just to be clear on what causes this, it's it's what we eat. Right. There's no denying that. There's you that it's cause causal. I mean, we eat this stuff. This is what's happening to our bodies. Yeah. And I think one of the things that just is tearing at my heartstrings, it's one thing to see a, an adult loved one suffer the consequences, to suffer from these diseases, to eventually pass away from these preventable things, but to see how we're setting this up for our kids, mm-hmm. it is unacceptable. I agree. So, you know, there's there's something I keep I keep getting these visions in my in my mind. I don't know if you do this, but when I go to the grocery store, I look in people's carts and it makes me so sad, bud. The amount of sodas, yeah. The junk. And I was right there. I was right there doing the same thing when you and Amanda were growing up. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I, I honestly don't look at that because I hate going to the store. <laughs> I put my head down, get what I need, and run out. But, no, I, I definitely know what you're saying. You know, yesterday I went into CVS to get a prescription, and um, right there at the counter was this beautiful, cute little display. Uh-huh. For s'mores right so you know the marshmallows the chocolate the graham crackers and I mean that's fine it you know who doesn't like a, a s'more every now and then what what memories we have of sitting around the campfire yeah but I'm just thinking it's everywhere we turn right you know how do we shift how do we make that shift it's not like they're gonna have a case of refrigerated broccoli sitting there right, right? But we have to start thinking in these terms. We have to start being repulsed by some of this stuff. Yeah, I agree. It's tough, you know. They have everything marketed so well and in the places to where you can't really go into the store without seeing it all. And your kids seeing it all, mm-hmm. of course. That's right. So we've talked, to, we, we've talked about what insulin resistance is. There's a lot of really good information um, on this that explains it in depth, that goes through the systems of the body that I find very fascinating. Not everybody needs to have that information. They just want to know basically what is it, why do I not want it, and how do I not have it? Yeah, and one thing I do want to go over is, you know, we know what it could possibly cause, but what are some of the symptoms that insulin resistance can cause or what mm-hmm. could you could you see or feel on a day-to-day basis that you know 
is coming from insulin yes. resistance. Okay, the first thing that comes to my mind is the visceral fat, that, that belly fat. Right. That is not supposed to be there. Yeah. And I've shared my story, you know. Yeah. Once I entered my 60s, I had that. Um, I just thought it was the way it was supposed to be. But I now know that that was my body's way of saying, I need help. Yeah. You know, I am not getting what I need, and I'm starting to have to do things that are not healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And one, one of the, another something that comes to my mind or that I've experienced in the past is um, when you're insulin resistant, when you do eat something such as carbs or anything like that, basically anything, your body is going to resist it. It's going to go to places where it's not supposed to go. It's not going to go to the place it needs to go. And you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel, you know, off. And when I was, I believe when I was insulin resistance and, you know, possibly had a fatty liver, I would eat and I would immediately have to take a nap Mm -hmm. just because my body wasn't processing the things, you know, how it's supposed to. Right. And, you know, what that says is that glucose, that your body converted the sugars and the carbs to that went straight to your bloodstream right and it, it hung out there it had no place to go right and so that's what is dangerous is these high uh, blood spikes blood blood sugar spikes and then the, the high insulin spikes yeah that's where we get into trouble right our body is trying so hard to adjust and and eventually it's going to say I'm sorry I tried I'm, I'm giving up right yeah, I think what I've realized now that I have that under control is, you know, when I do eat something, especially when it's healthy, I'll actually get an energy boost, mm-hmm. whereas in the past I would feel depleted and, you know, need some coffee or a nap. Right. And a word you t- you just mentioned, bud, is uh, the fatty liver. So now we are seeing a rise, uh, almost an epidemic, in non-alcoholic fatty liver. So we right. used to see fatty liver in alcoholics yeah but now we are seeing fatty liver in people in their 20s and their 30s and it's all from all the sugar the sodas that's what it's from yeah and uh, they're seeing it in kids as well exactly and i think last week in that episode if people didn't listen to episode 27 that's kind of where we started this it's the kind of the foundation for what we're building this series on but they are now having to do liver transplants on mm-hmm. 17 year olds right and they are linking it back to all the soda yeah that they're drinking they are now seeing type 2 diabetes in three-year-old children right that is disgusting disgusting yeah especially it's disgusting because it's preventable yeah and people that don't know what's causing that it's like we talked about last week but i i do believe parents are they do love their kids they they want the best for their kids they just don't know they're not they don't have the education about all of this food diet um all of these chronic diseases um a lot of people talk about uh, money people that don't have the means to get the best food 
get the best help. Um, they resort to these other foods like soda and unfortunately they can get that very cheaply and that's what they feed their kids. Yeah. I, fe- I fed you guys that just because it was fun. It, it was, oh yeah, let's have a soda. Yeah. Right? You know, it makes the kids happy. It yeah. Keeps their attention for a little bit. <laughs> and um, another thing that we'll talk about, so insulin resistance does lead to type 2 diabetes. Right. And there's something that is called pre-diabetes. Mm-hmm. But um, in reading more about this this week, um, Dr. Hyman has a great book about all of this. Pre-diabetes, there's really not technically such a thing. You either don't have diabetes or you do. Right. So if your fasting glucose is over 100, then a lot of times they'll say, oh, you've got pre-diabetes until it hits 100. 26, mm-hmm. 125, 126 is they consider that diabetes. But when they look at the statistics of the uh, percentage of people with prediabetes and full-blown type 2 diabetes um, having strokes and heart attacks, mm-hmm. it's the same. Right. It's like four times people with prediabetes or full-blown diabetes have four times the risk of having heart disease or stroke than someone without. It's not, oh, if you have pre-diabetes, you have a one, one or two percent chance. It's it's full. It's, it's just the same. It is all there. Okay. That's why people have to turn this around. Right. And how can they turn it around? I think we know, you know, that insulin resistance causes type two diabetes. What can people you know, start doing to turn that around, prevent it, you know, all the things? Well, I think the first thing people have to do, you have to ask yourself, do you want to turn it around? Yeah. And if somebody doesn't, um, then that's that's a whole different ball game there. Right. But if somebody does want to turn it around, if someone does understand the urgency and the seriousness of it, then you have to look at your diet. Yeah. You have to take an honest inventory of what you're eating. Yeah. And if you want to really make a difference, you have to figure out how you're going to decrease your sugar intake, your refined flour uh, intake, the mm-hmm. bad oil intake. You're going to have to do that right. if you're going to turn it around. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, you can get into the exercise and the sleep and stress yeah. as well because it's all a package deal. Yeah, the, the importance of exercise is, you know, huge in this. It's not as big as the diet, but it's definitely up there with it, along with the sleep, along with controlling your stress. Um, there's so many things out there that, you know, can help prevent it or, you know, turn it, or turn it around. Well, one thing that, that you love to talk about and what you're very passionate about is how exercise changes the mind, yeah. the mindset, right. and that dopamine hit and all that. If you have that, you're going to be more likely willing and, and wanting to change your diet. It yeah, helps. Ab- it's part of your toolbox. Absolutely. You can use exercise to get that good feeling, and it's going to want to make you get more of that good feeling 
not just in the gym, but it's going to make you want to get that good feeling eating. It's going to, you know, it's going to be everywhere. And you're, you can get that dopamine hit, you know, from eating whole foods, from getting good night's sleep, you know, all these things, all these tools you can use. You can increase the dopamine that you're getting, not just based off, you know, the bad foods that you're needing to get that dopamine hit, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, they eat those bad foods because they make them feel good. That's the dopamine. And you can get that same exact feeling from, you know, g- getting a good workout in or any of that. Right. And if you get it through eating the bad foods, you're going to crash. No, yeah. And it's going to be a sh- very short-lived dopamine hit. Right. A couple of other uh, chronic illnesses that they are linking um, to all of these bad foods for us, it's dementia. Right. And Alzheimer's and that to me that's huge if, mm-hmm. if you know someone that's struggling with that um, you don't want you don't want a loved one to go through that no. and now they are linking sugar intake you know over a lifetime they're calling Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes now. yeah I heard that one yeah um, and also just the break the complete breakdown of our immune system all of this is connected yeah and uh, like we've talked about cancer and Mm -hmm. then obesity obesity there's a lot of things that come with obesity rather uh, you know other than just these illnesses it's immobility right it's um, knee and joint it's it's joint pain it's you know people end up having surgery right you know because their joints just can't handle no, you it's know, not designed right. to handle that extra weight. Right. Um, one thing that I think we want to encourage everyone to do is it's important to know your numbers, uh, your your blood test numbers. So yeah. most often when you go to the doctor, they'll do a fasting blood glucose test. Mm-hmm. If, if your doctor doesn't do that, you need that. It needs yeah. to be a fasted glucose, and you want it... Ideally, you know, the optimal range is 70 to 85. Right. And um, anything under 100 is, is considered within range. Anything over 100, then you, you've you got a problem brewing and you, yeah. you need to address that. Yeah, absolutely. But the other test uh, is the fasting insulin test. I know by experience that doctors, most conventional doctors treating you know medicine traditionally um, will not do a fasting insulin test because they don't feel it's uh, necessary right but science is showing more and more and more that that is a predictor up to 10 to 20 years of type 2 diabetes okay so you want that number to be 5.5 or under Gotcha. If you get to 6.0, then you've got diabetes. Okay. Um, or yeah. pre-diabetes, as they like to say, but we just had a conversation about what that really means. Yeah, I mean, you actually got it. But, yeah, I've never actually gotten my fasting insulin done. I'll have to get that next time. Well, you know, now is you're in your 30s, you yeah. know. Um, it's kind of hard to say. You're kind of like, you're not like middle 30s. You're kind of on your way to yeah. the late 30s, which is awesome. But now's the time. Yeah. Holy cow. If you can get a hold of all this when you're in your 30s, 
you know, that's when muscle starts breaking down. That's where your body starts doing these things that it didn't do when it, no, in, yeah. when you're in your 20s. That's a fact. <laughs> if your doctor um, d- will refuses to do that, then you either talk them into it or you change doctors. Right. That's what I had to do. Okay. Yeah, I know Emily had trouble getting that one, but... Yeah. Right. And, it's, and, it's, and it is an inexpensive test. It's not like you know, an expensive test and they don't want to do it because of that reason. No, they just don't know what to do with the information because right. that's not what they learned in medical school. Right. All right, bud. Let's go to kind of part two of this. What's the plan of attack? The plan of attack, you know, I think the first step is to, like you said, look at your diet. Eliminate the refined sugars and flours all that stuff that's that's got to be the first to go yeah and i think you know just things to just the fast food really take a look at the fast food because you have to look at the oils that are being used yeah uh, the amount of time something is fried you know these oils when they're heated up that's when you they are, become toxic, and a lot of times they're heated up multiple times. Yeah. Um, you know, who doesn't like a good French fry? But you really have to, you have to take a look at that. Yeah, it's going to drive up your inflammation big time mm-hmm. with all those oils. Mm-hmm. And then, like we talked about, the soda. You know, is just stop drinking soda if you can't do it cold turkey. Same with fast food. Figure out a way that you can start decreasing. Yeah, substitute it with something else that tastes good. Yeah. You know, drinking soda is basically pouring sugar straight into your liver. Right, right. And who would want that? Right. So you really need to focus on the whole foods. And yeah. that is something that is has been a learning curve for me because learning how to cook different recipes and not the, the go-to recipes that that I used to do you know yeah. but really trying to substitute healthy ingredients and not just healthy but learning what types of herbs and spices and and oils what that actually does for your body yeah and I think a lot of people's hesitation on that is well it's not going to taste as good as you know the stuff I'm eating the fast food I'm eating or the you know that all the other stuff that's not whole foods that I'm eating and I would have I would have to agree that I felt the exact same way but once you start eating whole foods you're going to look at fast food like just what it is as junk and when you do have that whole food it's going to taste amazing and I think remembering that fast food and a lot of the foods that, that we love and crave that aren't good for us, they were designed yeah. to make us addicted to them. Right. Absolutely. I think another thing to talk about is we need to, before we kind of move on with this list, let's kind of step back a minute and... I think we need to understand that we have to have a complete shift in our thinking of food. Yeah. We have to rethink how we view food. Yeah. And 
we're at a place and a time in history that it is time to look at food as medicine. And fuel. And fuel. We have to reverse this. If not for ourselves, then let's do it for our kids. Yeah. And something that Dr. Hyman and others have talked about, everything we eat is information to our body. Right. Everything. Mm-hmm. Whether it's healthy or unhealthy, our body has to do something with that. Sure. That has helped me tremendously. When I eat something that I know is healthy, that I know is going to lower inflammation, that is going to help with blood sugar, that is going to help with energy. Build muscle. All of those things. When you eat those things and you put those in your body, it, it feels like you're really honoring and loving like we talked about last week honoring and loving your body yeah and when we eat stuff that isn't good for us then we have to we have to be adults like Mm -hmm. we talked about last week and realize okay my body is having to do something with this and am i saying don't ever eat this stuff yeah that's that's probably not uh I don't think that's a healthy way to go about it. I mean, unless you absolutely can't stop yourself when you do eat that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you have to do that. But I think developing a good relationship with food is the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's that's good to, to think about. And I know changing just shifting our thoughts about food it's not something we learned in school it's not something we hear at the doctor's office more than likely it's not something we sit around around the dinner table and talk about yeah but shifting what food is for and learning how to appreciate it i i'm reading this book by dr william lee and one of his main goals about eating is he said he loves food Right. And he wants his food, and he mm-hmm. needs his food to taste good. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want that? So he has, he is teaching people how to do that in a healthy way, and I, I think it's, it's fascinating. I, I'll put his, I'll make myself a note and put his book um, in our show notes, because uh, he actually has two books. His first one was um, How to Beat Disease, How to Eat to Beat Disease, and this latest book is how to beat your diet. Yeah. Diet not meaning I'm going to go on this kind of diet. Diet meaning your your relationship. Twenty day with cleanse food. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think one good way to look at it is go into a meal and think to yourself, what is this food going to do for me? What is my goal with this food? Um, you know, when you're eating some eggs, oh yeah, I'm going to get some protein out of this. I'm going to get some good fatty acids from this. Um, I'm going to get fuel for my muscle. Or if you're going into dinner or something, I'm going to eat this asparagus or this broccoli to get some antioxidants in me to, you know, help me fight, you know, sickness or yes. disease. You know, look at everything that you eat and actually know and believe what it's going to do for your body and kind of make a game out of it and I think you know you can 
has some success doing it that way. I agree. I think it could be fun with kids too. Yeah, absolutely. We we kind of do that already. Yeah. Um, and just make it fun and and get that terminology in front of them at a younger at a young age. Yeah, and so it goes. They grow up with it. Yeah, it goes to as simple as oh, these carrots are gonna make my eyes, you know, work better. Yeah. This protein is gonna make my muscles grow. That's right. It all starts somewhere, but once you start implementing those ideas, it kind of starts growing. That's exactly right. So we talked about things that we can do individually just to help our own diet, you know, going through your pantry, um, throwing out, you know, a lot of the, the junk stuff can't emphasize throwing out high fructose corn syrup enough that keeps popping up in this space Mm -hmm. that you read more and more about that throw that stuff away yeah and um just rather than so here's the thing about fast food fast food is there for a reason Uh, like you've talked about y'all get really busy and it's hard it is hard hard to plan a dinner and so and when things come up you know sometimes you know you got to resort to it you don't have to but it's the easiest option so what i'm working on i've talked about on the podcast before is finding things recipes keeping things in the freezer that i can you know put together yeah, very easily. Yeah. So that that's part of it, and and a couple of things are working for me and and dad, and and so that that is a good thing. Um, but with all this said, and because we're kind of coming up on our time, one of the things you and I discussed before we started recording is if any of this is going to work. Yeah. If we're going to be able to move forward, we're going to have to have a support system. Right. And you and I are really good support system, you know, for each other. Right. We we have found podcasts that we love that we're learning from books, you know, that that I love reading and I can't get enough of. I think we have to ask our listeners to ask themselves who's going to support them if they're ready to make a change or if maybe they've made changes and they want to continue and they want to make more changes what's going to keep them going yeah if you don't have family and friends that support you it's not only going to make your journey hard but it's also not going to you know spread the news to you know help everybody out else out there you know the more and more we do this and talk about it the more and more i realize people don't know about this stuff and if you're hearing this, you know, you probably have tons of people around you that don't know it either. So, it, I mean, it comes down to are you willing to make the change? And once you do make that change, you got to start spreading the word because once you start spreading that word, you're going to have more and more support around you to make, help you succeed. That's a great point, bud. And it's one thing to do things for ourselves. You know, yeah. to improve ourselves, our life, our health. It's a whole new ball game when you start becoming aware of the importance to support other people and share information with other people. Yeah. This, we are in a health crisis right. in our country right now. We're in a lot of crisis in our country right now. 
um, some of that we we can't control. Right. We can control our health, our diet, our family's health and diet. We we have some control in that. We have some knowledge yeah. in that. But if we're going to make the change, the drastic change that our country needs, our families need, our kids need, we're going to have to, there's going to have to be a revolution. Absolutely. And it's going to take a lot of pain, and it's going to take a lot of getting beat down. It's going to take a lot of... A lot of, of judgment. A lot of judgment. Yeah. Um, but hopefully things will turn around and people will start questioning, well, why do you do it this way? What, you know, how do you have so much energy? Right. How do you, how are you this many years old and, and you're doing this? Yeah. Those are the kind of things that we need to turn around. And, you know, back on the kids is introducing kids to this way of life to where it just becomes normal for yeah. them. Yeah, becomes the new real reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Bud, we are, we've reached our limit. Uh, yeah. Our time that we, we try to hold to, to respect everybody's um, time. I know when I listen to podcasts, when it gets over 45 minutes or an hour, it's kind of hard for me to get that whole podcast in. So I know. As, as the host and co-host here, you know, uh-huh. we, uh, we could keep going. Yeah. And, you know, there's, a, again, there's a whole page here that we didn't even get to right. today. But we're going we're gonna to close, and we hope this information is valuable. Support people. We're here. If you have questions, we we have. Um, I just want to shout out to Candace. Okay. Yeah. Um, because she has faith in us, and she comes to us with questions. Yes. And um, just that means a lot. And she's working with her doctor along yeah. with with what we've learned, and that's the way to do it, right there. Yeah. Use both. Use all the resources you have. Yeah. And we're so humbled and blessed that Candace, you reached out to us and considered us a resource. Yeah, exactly. And we love you very much and and very proud of you. Yeah, um, absolutely. On your journey. You and Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. All right, bud, let's do our two questions and then we'll say adios. All right, what's one thing you've struggled with or learned this past week? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with the challenge. Um, okay. I hate to, to do that. I to I prefer to do with something I've learned but it's just this week has just been a challenge yeah. you know um, for a lot of reasons right. you know that, that you heard about um, so t- I just I, I've had to really and I shared with you before we started recording that I've really had to resort to my mindset yeah and be intentional today am I going to choose joy today am I going to Today, am I going to uplift myself? Am yeah. I going to believe in myself and what I'm doing? Right. And I'm finding those have to be asked just about every single day. Yeah. I, I can definitely understand. Yeah, I know you can, Bud. So what about you? Challenge or something you learned? I'll go with challenge as well. I think it has to deal with some of the things you're, you discussed. But yeah, um, just dealing with a lot of things at home and you know 
mindset I've learned to use my mindset to really get me out of a space that I really could go to pretty easily and just destroy everything that I'm working on and pursuing but I'm choosing you know to have a faith over fear mentality and kind of just not even think about that fear side and just keep on going so that's been it's been a challenge but it's also been kind of um, empowering Um, so just anyone out there you know faith over fear just has such of a power over anything really you know if you're having that fear-based mentality you're not going to be able to control anything in your life if you're constantly running about the worst Um, whereas if you choose faith you know you can still keep living your life still pursue your dreams still pursue you know the happiness of everyday life but uh, that fear will really drag you down so choose faith over fear Hey guys, thank you so much for sticking around and dealing with those microphone or volume issues we had there at the end. Like I mentioned, we will be continuing where that started to happen next week, so we hope you can join us then. Love y'all.